Church Podcast. So I wouldn't worry about what he has to say. You're saying Steve looks like Anderson Cooper. Yep. Oh, man. <clears throat> it's uh, better that he used to look like Glenn Beck, but no, you know I met him good. once. Glenn Beck. Yeah, I did. Pretty neat. I love being around Baptist preachers and saying something positive about Glenn Beck. You know what their first response always is? Did you know? You know he's Mormon. Mormon. No, he's Mormon. Wait, 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 okay, excuse me. Um, on the way here, didn't somebody pretty much refuse to watch a TV program because it's influenced <laughs> by Mormons? Yep. Who was that? Steve Brudnick. I was quoting someone I knew. Oh, okay. oh that, that's Sorry. true. It wasn't you. We have to okay. we have to get the truth out there. That's right. It's about time. Yeah. All you guys do is pick on me, so, you know. You know, one of the things that I love to do as a pastor, I know this is going to sound really strange to you guys, I love to hunt. Some pastors like to golf. Anybody have a golfing uh, habit? Anybody? Hobbies? Anybody? Tom, do you have a hobby? Gambling. Gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Every service is a gamble for me, man. <laughs> Did you start the podcast? It's going right now. Yeah, I started it before you even knew. That's awesome. So I do golf. You do golf? Yes. Yeah. Uh, are you good at it, though? Like, no, really. I'm if not I played a lot, I'd probably get good at it. I don't play enough. I probably end up playing once a summer, maybe sometimes two or three times. I'm so bad at golf. Really? I'm horrible. I could tell you stories, but I won't. Top golf. You ever do that? I would love to do that. That actually makes golfing kind of like bowling. Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty fun. Which neither one sounds very exciting until you combine them. <laughs> yeah. Martin, what's your hobby? My hobby, running. Yeah, I've tried hunting, and I'll try again. But so far, I have not shot anything successfully. Really? Yep. Man, I've sat on the sides of a mountain in freezing rain with icicles dripping off a rifle, and not a single deer. You've never shot anything, and you go hunting. Mm-hmm. See, I don't go hunting, and I've shot. I've shot and killed a deer. They must. They must know you're British, and you don't know how to use a weapon. <laughs> That's yep. my 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 hunting story is when I pastored in Iowa. My father-in-law wanted to take me hunting. He had two daughters, and he's an outdoorsman. And then I'm his only son-in-law. He got a raw deal because I'm just well for obvious reasons. I'm, I mean, you know, we, you don't have very, to say no more. Say no more. I'm very ahead. city slicker. We'll just put it that way. I was raised in, by my mom, so I'm not like one of those real, you know, take the first bite out of the heart of the kid, yeah. of the deer you kill. So I'm in Iowa. You can only hunt with a shotgun. The deer's there. I'm so nervous to take the shot. I take the shot. I thought I missed, so I took another one. But we walk up, my father-in-law and I, and there's the deer dead. I dropped it. I hit it in its jaw, dropped it. It was dead. And then he said, I'm going to clean the first one for you, Steve. I'll show you how to do it. And then you got to clear, clean every deer after that. And he started in that thing. And I said, are you going to get your hands bloody? <laughs> and he's like, the oh, guts yeah. don't jump out themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that was the last time I went hunting. Well, listen, I, just, I only bring that up. I have two reasons. Number one, you guys really need to get into it. There is no greater stress relief after, you know, preaching all day on Sunday and second guessing your sermons and all that stuff than going out and killing something, man. And it, Some of us don't preach sermons we second guess. Ooh. I was going to say, Tom, is that well, a problem you face? I yeah, but I started, but he's the beard. So, I mean, the wisdom comes from my right. I mean, that's, that's, that's where he's sitting. So, but, meat, meat comes from Walmart. No, no, no. You gotta, if you, if you, if you, sh- if you kill it, I'll smoke it. Ooh. That's actually a good idea. I could do that. I don't smoke. 100%. I'm a Baptist. Hundred percent. So actually, you have that hobby. I do. I like. I like. He to loves s- to smoke meat. Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah, I've actually never had anything that you've prepared. I've yet. seen the face yeah. yet. That's correct. Yeah. 
I have a smoker at my house. You're more than welcome. Is that one of those cheap ones where you, you program it, walk away and take a nap? It was not cheap. But, okay. that, but it does do that. Okay, fake. I meant fake, not cheap. <laughs> well, the other reason that, that hunting is, uh, you know, kind of brought into the conversation is uh, some pastors are just killers, man. We need to talk about the we need to talk about the demeanor of a pastor in leadership. And uh, I don't know if that was a good segue or not, but I am I'm sticking to my guns right now. What we're talking about today. Good pun. Thank you. Puns of those form of comedy. Uh, what we're talking about here today is we're talking about leadership of a pastor. You know, the Bible talks about uh, how we are given oversight of the of the flock of God um, as pastors talks about how, you know, the those elders and rulers and, and we could give all the background and and um, Greek words and things like that that has to do with that. Uh, but there's no there's no question that some pastors have gone too far. The Bible says that we're not lords over the flock. Um, so we want to talk about today the balance between an altruistic kind of open-ended, low-control type of leadership versus a heavy-handed, authoritarian type leadership, and how we can um, how we can make sure that we fall biblically into our leadership role as pastors. Do you feel? Do you feel, Brother Russ, you've ever been in one of those two positions? I don't mean as a pastor. I mean in a church mm-hmm. where that was led no. either too loosely or too strongly. Uh, no, not in not an extreme way. Uh, you have to understand, I've been in one church my whole life, so that's 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 this church, <laughs> except for my college experience. And I didn't feel like either of them were overly one way or the other. I, I think probably every church probably, I don't know, experiences little elements of, of things, you know, without being, without being like systemically flawed, they just have little tendencies one way or the other. Um, of course, having grown up in this church, you know, we were, we were an independent fundamental Baptist church. Um, we, we had had and have standards. We, um, you know, we promoted those things. Um, I just, I was just never wounded by anything like that, you know? So for me, it's not, it's not something that, that I look back on and say, oh, that was so terrible. I think as leaders, we lean one way or the other on either side of these ditches, whether being a dictator or more of a democracy, let's take a poll, let's try to make everyone happy mentality. And I think the way we confront problems many times maybe reveals, and I'm going to, I mean, the flesh is easy and you know, when there's a problem in the church, you can come down heavy fisted publicly, mm-hmm. hitting everybody with a shotgun, or you can just ignore it and just hope that it goes away on its own. But I think the the balanced approach is, you know, right dealing with it directly, privately going to a person and having that confrontation. Do you feel like, Steve, you've ever struggled to know where the balance is? In your ministry. How many years have you been pastoring, by the way? I have been pastoring over 20 years now. I've been 17 years at United, and then so about 22 years I've been pastoring. Yeah. And personally, I don't, to me, finding the balance on this isn't as difficult as other things as much as carrying out some, for me, because I would... I would probably lend toward the democracy of just not dealing with things and wanting to make people happy. And then I'll get frustrated with my, you know, my lack of dealing with something. And then I'll swing and try to deal something, you know, just heavy handed. But really, if I'm going to walk in the spirit and be what God wants me to be, mm-hmm. I need to just deal with things and confront well, them. We'll probably have different times in our ministry. Like sometimes we'll be, you know, being too much of a dictator. We're pushing things too hard. Other times 
will move more towards the, you know, the lazy side of it. Uh, you know, I guess it's trying to figure out if we are more predominantly inclined to one or the other. Yeah. Lordship so different laziness being the two different things, that, the two pendulum swings that we battle there. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. So we'll probably all have times when we lean towards one or the other. But I guess it's trying to be aware of are we dominated by being one or the other? Yeah. Well, let me ask a couple questions here and let's get some group discussion going here if we can this morning. Uh, I guess it's not morning. I don't know. I'll edit that out. Edit. Um, now I lost my train of thought. This is totally getting edited out. <laughs> all right. Let's ask a couple of questions here and just get some group discussion going on this subject. First of all, um, would you say, let's, let's start with you, Martin. Um, you know, here in the United States, there tends to be kind of, or historically there tend to be kind of the, like this lofty picture of the pastors, this, and, and even now, like some people who will use language will not use it around me, right? Because, oh, here's the pastor, whatever. But there have been those who have, who have gone and taken that to an extreme and they've kind of it let it go to their head a little bit. Um, would you say, you know, from your outside perspective, I mean, American Christianity, is that predominant? I think American culture tends to be more hierarchical in some senses, like in the business world, you've got the president, you've got the, the chairman of a committee. And I think in American society in general, there is more of a, uh, a recognition of, you know, top down, which I know kind of sounds crazy coming from a British perspective where you've got literally royalty. Um, but I think I'm more- yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I'm glad you mentioned. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Royalty. <laughs> long live the queen. Yeah, there you go. And she is long lived. Yes, sir. Um, but yeah, you know, I think my experience in general British culture has been more of a committee approach to things. Mm-hmm. So I think American culture in general, I've observed that it tends to be more of an emphasis upon a single leader, and, and so I think that does bleed into the church to a, you know some degree as well. Right. I, I think that's a key point that's not brought up enough that that some of this, the ditch on the one side of the road of dictatorship is culture driven because we have in America, the whole idea of being macho and don't tell me what to do. It sounds like the opposite of what you're talking about, but it's not because there are guys I'm convinced after 25 years of pastoring that are independent Baptists, not because they believe the ecclesiology of being independent Baptist, but because they don't want anybody else telling them what to do. Uh, Mm -hmm. They only want to tell other people what to do. Mm -hmm. So they end up building these little empires where they run everything. And the only reason they're independent is because it's the only way they can run everything. Mm -hmm. It's that curious combination of don't tell me what to do, but I want to tell everybody else what to do. Can you, can you speak to the, the specifically the thought of independent Baptist churches, what you have seen now, for a minute here, let's just pause the discussion and talk about our experiences. We know experience is subjective. You may have had one experience. I may have had another, that kind of thing. But I think that we've all seen a pretty broad view of independent Baptist churches, a pretty broad swath of them. Would you say that that um, that style that is heavy-handed, authoritarian, and I, you know, we use the word dictatorship, um, whether or not it ever makes it really to that point, you know, that's up for discussion. But have you seen a lot of that? In independent Baptist churches, yes. Where does it come from? Well, I think you just said it. Uh, well, I think the ultimate answer is it comes from the old nature, pride. Yes, yeah. yeah pride is the root of so much that's that's mm. that's at the core that's destructive. You know, like like sin is. But yeah, it's pride that says I'm right mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Now the truth is, as a pastor, I make decisions, and if I didn't if I didn't think I was right, I wouldn't make that decision. Mm-hmm. But there's something about surrounding yourself with a culture that says that demands that everyone else listen to you. You surround yourself with yes men. You mm-hmm. refuse to allow yourself to be questioned. 
Um, everyone else you come across always does it wrong. Your ideas are always best. And you build this feedback loop or this incestuous, this growth metastasizes and you become the expert that everybody else has to listen to. And then you combine that with your concept of what a pastor means and what a bishop is. And then all of a sudden, everybody has to do exactly what I say. Are we, as independent Baptists, in your opinion, more vulnerable to slide that direction than maybe, I don't know, other denominations or subsets yes. of Baptists? Yes, because we we are because we're so independent and and there's no there's no pushback. We have no all right, I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. If I do something wrong at my church, if my wife doesn't call me on it, you know, if my if my kids don't call me on it, if my deacons don't, if my church doesn't, then there's nobody to do it. So if I've got them all bamboozled or so prone to think that I'm always right and cannot be questioned, mm-hmm. unless I lead them about how to push back respectfully and appropriately, yeah, because denominations, they have someone, they have some sort of, and I'm not saying that denominational structure is right. It's not. Right. Biblically, the independent Baptist ecclesiology is, is, is absolutely correct, but it is something that is, we're, we're very prone to become. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to know from your perspective. Well, I don't know. Brudnack, you're the other ancient man in the room. What's your, <laughs> and I know sometimes you say that you don't see this stuff, you know, but I, I guess I come out of a harder edged wing of fundamentalism than yes, you did. Yes, you, you definitely do. Um, I, I do think that our church structure does provide an atmosphere where that can take place. And I do think also just pastoring pastors get hurt and they're human and sometimes a man's insecurity and sometimes he has spent all given all he has put his life into a work in a ministry and he can get hurt and burned and sometimes react in a very hurtful painful way um and it really does come down to the fact of you know it's feeding your flesh it's sin and it's I think it's also a violation of biblical doctrine. We have lost the doctrine of individual soul liberty. Mm. Mm. That is a good we, point. We pay lip service to it, Yep. Uh, but we have lost that. Uh-huh. I think that's an interesting combination when you get a leader who wants to lord his authority over people, and then you get lazy men who want to be lorded over. Yeah. So they're happy for the pastor to make all the calls and to... Uh-huh you know, do everything he does because it means they don't have to and they can kick their feet up and they can watch sports and, you know, not have to lead themselves. So the lordship of one, it complements the laziness of another. You're you're spot on. Well, okay. So let's, let's think of it in this way for a minute, if we can. So we know the threat of this kind of authoritarian style of church leadership coming from the, you know, senior pastor, lead pastor, main pastor, whatever, um, is is a vulnerability, and every leader's got to be aware of of their their tendency. They got to be aware of their weaknesses in that area. But but also, this is something that I think is worth saying too. Being accused of being authoritarian doesn't make you authoritarian. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like just because someone calls you a dictator doesn't mean that you really are one. Have you ever been called a dictator because you did something the way the Bible said to do it? You ever been called a legalist mm-hmm. because you you say, "Well, I believe this is what the Bible teaches we need to do." And is, the, try- is the Pope a Catholic? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think sometimes the allegation can lead to that behavior 
almost become unnecessary. It's like they create yeah. the monster yeah. that was never there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you- someone pushes and pushes and rebels and, you know, not rebels, but like they're always argumentative until the pastor at some point says, look, we've got to deal with this. And then they turn around and say, see, I always knew it. Something Steve. I've come to realize is that a lot of times that accusation and and I have made it my life's mission not to be a dictator in any way, shape, matter, or form. And yet I still find myself, I get accused of it. And again, I'm not a perfect man. And I'm sure there's been times I've been more heavy fisted than I should be. But again, I tend more toward that democracy. That's it. Let's take a poll of the people rather than push them. But I'll still get accused of it. And what I have found is many times those accusations come from people that want to take control themselves. Uh And the way I kind of think of it and explain it to my church is that my job as a pastor is to make sure no one person Mm -hmm. becomes the head of the church, including myself, because Christ is the head of the church. So I don't get to lead the church the way I want to lead the church. I don't get to do that. And, And again... And I try again, my dead level best, not to hide behind the statement, well, the Lord led me, the Lord, you know, because I have found that that statement many times comes out of very unstable people's lips as an excuse to do some really ridiculous, unstable things. So if I'm going to say the Lord led me, I want to make sure the Lord led me. And that is a great point because you can't, it's just like, it's just like any issue, right? You can't deny the obvious examples in the scripture. Like the the example you just mentioned over there of diatrophies. Yeah. Well, the, what is the pastor's job when there's diatrophies in the church? He has to fix it. He has mm-hmm. to deal with it. Yeah. Yep. Because that diatrophies is not only taking the the rightful biblical authority away from the pastor, he's also taking the praise away from the Lord. And the pastor cannot allow that to happen, right? Oh, I think I think another example is Moses. When, when uh, uh, Aaron and Miriam said, mm-hmm. you take too much mm-hmm. upon you. Mm-hmm. And Moses is a great leader, one of the greatest leaders in human history, right. setting aside all religion. He, he, but he got the accusation and he had to deal with it. Right. Yeah. And that, and the Lord also, the, another key thing to remember is the Lord's going to deal with that person too. Mm-hmm. Because right. God dealt with all of those with Moses. Um, I believe he probably dealt with diatrophies, so there's not a clear record of scripture about it. No, I, I remember hearing in Bi- this, my memory's coming back all the way from Bible college, but that there is, and I've never studied it out, maybe I need to look into it, that there's a possibility Diotrephes was a pastor mm-hmm. and John as an apostle was rebuking the fact that he had taken a role that he didn't, you know, that he shouldn't have taken. Now, again, I've never studied that out, but. Well, that's what, that, that's what a dictator pastor is. If, yeah. if we're independent Baptists because we believe doctrinally that Christ is the head of the church, then if I as a pastor become the head of the church, Mm-hmm. I'm violating scriptural principle. I'm, I'm violating doctrine. Right. Well, now let's look at the other side of the, of the coin here. Okay. So we have on one side, we have this super authoritarian, heavy handed. Um, it's, it's a dictatorship, so to speak. It's something that, that it does not honor God. But on the other side, you also have this rush toward church democracy. You have this kind of um, low control environment that is being promoted where there, there is almost not that there's no structure because there are some very organized churches that have structure that that are the way that you know they're, they're like this that we're about to talk about um, but we pulled up an article here right before the podcast and we're just going to read some excerpts from it this is from rick flanders the article is the biblical pattern of church government it can be found on ministry127.com and i want to just kind of 
re- repeat some of the things he said and quote some of his writings. And let's just talk about maybe the position there. First thing out of the gate, he lists Acts twenty twenty eight. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. First statement. For some reason, writers and preachers who should know better have said for many years in one way or another that a New Testament church runs pretty much as a pure democracy, but hardly anything could be further from the truth, and confusion on this point has gotten many a church off track, thus hindering the cause of Christ in the world. Do you all agree with that statement? Sort of. (laughs) Well, again, do you think this is something where society has influenced the church? Because you look, you know, isn't, you know, again, my familiarization with politics is more British than American, but I hear very often it's not a democracy, it's a republic. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, has there been in society a growing influence upon, you know, democracy which has infiltrated the church? Or well, is that a... Well, let's just ask mis- the question. Is church government supposed to be a democracy? Church government is... <laughs> I don't want to disagree with Rick Flanner. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> like, he's a spiritual man. No, no, no. This is, this is good, though. I don't think we'll end up disagreeing. I think we just need to see I this. I think you have to be careful if you say it's not, because right. otherwise, how do you choose a pastor? Okay. You know, those sorts of things. I think it's in which way is I, it a democracy and in which way is it led. Right. It's a congregational voice is what I would, the way I would describe it. In other words, the head of the church is Jesus Christ, and he communicates with the church and as I teach my church and I want them to come along because I don't want I tell my church all the time I don't want to be your spiritual welfare I don't want to have you lean on me right because I I had an older man of God say to me when in my young years is that you got to remember if you stand on your own if you're the dictator then when it falls you fall on your own Mm -hmm. and I don't have those I don't have that big of shoulders so right Christ is the head, and I want my church to be in tune with what Christ wants. So I look at it as we, quote, vote on things as a church. I don't even look at it as much of a vote as the voice of God's people in the Old Testament. When Moses would read something, they would say amen, right. meaning it's them saying, yes, we, we see that's God's direction and the God's way. That's good. And my group of men that I seek, a smaller group, we use our trustees right now, and my staff, that... I seek counsel from them and they're, you know, if I feel we need to go a direction and and they all want to put the brakes on, then I take that as some leadership from the Lord that these men love the Lord and maybe I should just rethink this. But would you go with the the phrase in, you know, congregational rule, pastor led? That's a traditional Baptist. It's a way I've heard it. I mean, that's the way that historically... So, so right. you have democracy means rule of the people. That's, that's the definition of the right. word in the context of what Dr. Flanders is talking about, right? So in the sense that the church is not to be ruled by the people as far as there is a hierarchy, right? Um, then the church is not a democracy. Is that correct? Right. Correct. I agree with that. Okay. So that, that's established. Now, the Bible also mentions, and, and he covers this a little bit in the article, which people can go read later, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which would be the opposite, Right. In the book of Revelation, where mm-hmm. the word, I believe, as listed here, means to conquer the people. Right. Um, where the Bible tells us not to be lords over the flock. Right. So there's a problem. Even in Scripture, we're seeing where there was an over dominance on the part of the church leaders and all of that. There's an interesting historical connection to that, because the church at 
Who was that written to? A Pergamus? It was mentioned twice. I okay. can't remember. One of them. I, <laughs> Dear church. You when know. I, yeah, that's right. When I preached through that some years ago, when I preached yeah. in Revelation some years ago. I just preached there, there in January. Next there's, you can't remember. There's a, well, I feel better. Um, yeah. There's a, a historical reference to when the Bishop of Rome, who was trying to begin to exercise his authority outside of Rome and broaden it into what would eventually become the Roman Catholic Church and that structure of higher, you know, strong hierarchical control, right. tried to exercise authority over that church. And, and that's what that idea is. You, you tried him to be an apostle and found he's not because the apostles had authority that ended when the apostles ended. And uh, the, that, that church in Revelation said to the bishop at Rome, you're not an apostle. Hmm. You don't have the right to tell us what to do at our church over here. Wow. Well, that's pretty powerful. So let's go through this real quickly. Let me give you the structure. And these are just the main points of what Dr. Flanders article says. And he says, this is all, of course, from the book of Acts. Um, in Acts 20, uh, verses 16 through 38, he gives all these insights. Then, of course, we have Acts chapter 6, where they established a structure, made decisions as a church, and it talks about how all that's done. So the first point is Christ is the president. Jesus Christ, we might say, is the president of the church according to the word of the God. He is the head of the church, is his body, Ephesians 1. The bridegroom of the church is his bride, Ephesians 5. The Lord of the church is his temple, Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. And Acts 20, 28 says he's the owner since he purchased the church with his blood. So we would agree that the head of the church is not the pastor. Amen. The head of the church is Christ. Amen. And that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay. So then after that, who's next? Is that us? Is that the pastor? Well, here's the suggested order. If Jesus is the head of the church, the president, if you will, then the Holy Spirit's the executive vice president. He's in charge of operations in the absence of the president. The head of the church is away on business, so to speak. He's in heaven at the right hand of his father, and the spirit is recognized at the, as the administrator of the church in Jerusalem uh, in chapter 5 um, of the book of Acts. You have Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Ghost. So we would agree then that, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they supersede the pastor every time. Well, yeah, that's, that's not even a question. That's not a question, right. Yeah. Even if you're from Britain, that's true. <laughs> So the Bible I, says, I, I, I personally use the description that Christ is the head of the church and the Holy Spirit's the nervous system. Mm, in that's the interesting. Sense that I mean, he he interacts with us. I'm gonna need you, you to know, give me chapter and, and verse for that. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah, it's in First Corinthians. <laughs> yeah. um, Third Corinthians. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so then then this is the structure we see Acts 20 that the and this is this is going to be an interesting debate if we can make our way through it here just briefly but the elders of the church elders okay those are pastors correct correct absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. unequivocally okay there we go so that would mean the address given there makes the pastors somewhat of and these are our terminology the superintendents well i think i think revelation points that out too because the angel the messenger the if the angel is the pastor in revelation 2 and 3 and i think probably all four of us in the room agree that it is yes. then then yeah the message is given to the angel to the messenger because he's got authority he's got influence right mm-hmm. so jesus is the president holy spirit is executive vice president in charge in the absence of the of the president and the pastors are superintendents otherwise known as overseers or bishops of the church of God, right? So that that is a natural biblical pattern that we see here. And then after that, okay, here's here's what we have to see. Now, what about the congregation? So now the pastors are, are part of the equation. Does that mean that, you know, we just, we run the whole deal, everything belongs to us? No, the congregation then is given a cooperating role. Some This is Dr. Flanders' words here. 
Some deal with the subject of church polity as if various interests are in struggle for control of the church. Who should run the church? Should it be a board of laymen, an ecclesiastical synod, or the deacons, or the preacher, or the majority of the members? But power struggles are not in the plan of God for the church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think something I've, whether I heard it said or whether I just generated it from my own genius, um, (laughs) but but it's, it's, you know, when, when we come to a members meeting and I kind of, I prefer the terminology members meeting to a business meeting, but, um, you know, I've tried to say and to remind myself that we're not gathering together to make a decision. We gather together to discern the decision that God has already made. Uh-huh. And I think yeah. that's where this article is going with this yeah. In, yeah. in terms of it's it's not a power struggle of what does the pastor want, what does the congregation want? It's us cooperating with the spirit so we know what he wants. So then then biblical examples of, of how this works. The book of Acts, right? If Acts mm-hmm. chapter 6, Acts chapter 15, two different places where it seems to go in this way. All right, the congregation meets, the matter is discussed. The pastor, led by the Spirit, makes a recommendation. The congregation concurs with the recommendation, believing they're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and everything ends up in harmony and mutual rejoicing. Amen. If it weren't for the old nature, that would always be true. Right, right. But that's how, but it can happen. Yes, absolutely. That's the goal. That's the, right. You know, that's what we, we aim for. And the thing is, I mean, carnality in a local church body can be very destructive, mm-hmm. even on one person level, especially if that one person is the pastor. I, I, I've i told our church, I said, the person that has the most power to split United Baptist Church is me. Um, probably the next most powerful person would be maybe my wife or an assistant pastor. Yeah. And, and the more leadership and responsibility you have within a local body, the more damage you can do, but even sometimes, uh, just maybe a member without much responsibility, they can cause a big ruckus by just trying to act as if it is impossible to discern God's will. And I have run into that with people, and it breaks my heart because they, there are people so cynical and hardened toward determining God's will. And part of that reason is we see sometimes unstable people within a church body acting like it's God's will to do some of the silliest things that look really silly. And then they act like, oh yeah, you're being, you're being way too idealistic, or this is like fairy tale yeah. land that we're following God together, or people act like you're using that as some hammer to get what real you, you're really trying to do what you really want. And you're just hiding behind it's God's will. No, I think, I, I don't think it's idealistic. We need to get God's mind and do what God wants. And the whole church is involved in that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that in what fact, you're saying? Yes. And let me let me quote um, Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's a great reference. And I love that verse because to me that verse is saying this. We submit ourselves, pastor, church member, everybody with this fear, the fear of God in this mindset God forbid that United Baptist Church have problems and it'd be my fault. Yeah. And I think every member should have that fear. Including And I think that's in the context of the home, Mm -hmm. too. Obviously, this is talking about being filled with the Spirit. The next verse is talking about the marriage relationship. And I don't want problems in my church to be my fault. And I think if every member submits themselves in a way that God forbid that it would be me, I I think then you're going to arrive at 
you know, at, at a good place. And as pastors, I mean, very practically and humanly, we have a lot on the line when it comes to our churches. I mean, mm-hmm. I remind our church members, I, I say, you know, I, I love you, but if you get upset and bent out of shape and if something goes wrong here, you can just walk away. And now, again, I'm coming as a pastor. If you're listening to this, you're not a pastor. You're going to make I'm going to sound a little heartless here, but that, that kind of a church member can kind of just walk away and it doesn't affect his life. But a pastor, it greatly affects their life. So they have an intense care and intense involvement. And, you know, they're vested in that church family. And because of that, um, you know, God gives titles to a pastor, bishop, which means the oversight, so kind of manages, elder, which has the idea of presider, again, has the idea of leadership, and then shepherd, which again, has the idea of leadership. So the pastor oh, definitely yeah. has an influence and a leadership, but as pastors, we don't want to be dictators. We don't want to be, you know, polling everybody to make everybody happy. We have to follow God's direction. And it's awesome when we can do that together. So so you perfectly segue into where I think this conversation might need to go, which is this, okay, as pastors, if we've ever faced this, or if we've seen people face it, I think we need to identify how does a pastor devolve, downgrade, if you will, from healthy leadership to heavy handed leadership in his ministry? Like, what are some of the things that we have to do some, I hate this term, but I'll use it self care on, like, we have to look at and say, okay, where is my heart on this issue? Because I've seen, again, g- good pastors make mistakes in this area, right? To where maybe they were gracious leaders, but then there's something that takes place in that ministry and they go, mm, and they grab they grab a hold of it like it's theirs and not like, not like it's God. So w- what do you think about that? Like what, what causes that? What could cause that? I think you mentioned earlier in Pride. Mm, pride, yeah. And I think, Steve, you just mentioned a minute ago about because as a pastor, you're so emotionally invested. That's your whole world, right? Your blood, sweat, toil, and, and, and tears that you get really hurt when 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 it when you think it's going to be hurt or when it starts to go sideways. And mm-hmm. you will you will do almost anything to protect all that you've poured out, all that you've given. Yeah. I think either pride or insecurity can lead to heavy handedness. Mm hmm. So if you're fearful for your position and so you double down on it, it can come across as kind of an overconfidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed youngest children can sometimes do this in, you know, in a physical fight. And I'll see if I can make sense of this as I explain it. But, you know, sometimes children will be fighting and the older one doesn't have to really exert much force to hold the younger one back. And so they can control that power because they know their power. Whereas the younger one, they go at it with everything they got and they end up hurting the other one because in their insecurity, they don't know how to handle their power. Right. They don't know how to handle it. And so I think insecurity in a pastor can lead to the appearance of a kind of a dictator type rule because they fear opinions, they fear input, they fear congregation. Uh, um, contributions from the congregation. Have you guys noticed this in yourselves? And I'm just going to be transparent. Like I am the most tempted to respond in the flesh with pride, with insecurity, or maybe even with overconfidence when I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. Like when I say, say that there's an incident and, and it could be, it could be my fault, but I, I've been wounded. 
some you know, a church member or or even a family member or whatever, you know, I feel like that I see in myself this tendency to want to grab a hold of God's church and to control it and make it my way, make it in my image a little bit more mm-hmm. when I'm hurt the deepest because what happens is again that insecurity, that that feeling where I don't have control and I'm supposed to be in charge of this and the buck stops with me and if, if I don't get this in, in in check then you know everybody's gonna look down on me. Mm-hmm. And I, that's where I feel the most vulnerable to going toward the heavy hand. See, that's style. curious because that's not, I'm not invalidating sure. that's your temptation. Mine's different. Mine is, I've studied this so much. I know so much. I've seen so much. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Just listen to me. Mine, <laughs> mine comes out of arrogance, uh, not out of. Okay. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. it can't happen because I'm sure you're right. Right. There's different paths to the same destination. Right. Yeah. It all comes from the beard. <laughs> That's ultimately where that comes and from. And so insecurity comes from <laughs> not having a bit. <laughs> you have no idea. I'll tell you that. Well, uh, if, yeah. if we you know, identify. But, but go let ahead. me just say, um, vulnerability comes from being able to be safe. And I think when there's carnality in the church, whether it be pleasure-seeking or legalistic rule, you know, embracing that somehow all the rules make us godly. And and we wouldn't agree with that. You know, the Bible talks about in Galatians where you bite and devour one another. Mm -hmm. And honestly, as a pastor, sometimes you, you've got to admit you're wrong, admit it publicly. You got to, you, you got to reveal some weakness and vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. if you've created an atmosphere where that's a bad thing, you, you're, you're really setting yourself up where you just got to go all in heavy fisted and have this persona of having it all together all the time. And you're, you know, I've known of pastors that have damaged their health in major ways because they were unwilling to show their church weakness and they didn't yeah. want to miss one soul winning time or one service or, you know, and, and as if it, that's some badge or something like that. And I think pastors, we got to be we got to be willing to be vulnerable and weak and admit that. But church members need to cut their pastors some slack and not bite and devour them in those moments. But again, pastors can create that atmosphere. I, I want, that's a hard balance to strike, though, because you can't deny the importance of an example. You know what I mean? Like if a yes, pastor, I if understand. A, exactly. If a pastor genuinely is like, no, I'm going to be there because if I expect my people to be there, then I'm going to be there. Yeah, but he's not. He's not criticizing setting an example. Right. He's criticizing. Well, I know that. He's criticizing right. the mindset that says it all depends on me because yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. I can be the only example. Mm. You yeah. know, that puts all the pressure, all the weight on, and, and no man can carry that. Yeah. If a pastor like, is heavy-handed, authoritarian, and in a negative sense, how can he change that? Let's give solutions. I like First Thessalonians 5.12 when he says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you. And then he says, And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. But he says, you know, they're among you. There's that idea of being among the people. And I think it's similar to, you know, First Peter 5.3 where he says not to be lords over God's heritage. It's God's people. Um but, you know, we, we're among the people. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so it kind of puts uh, ourselves... You know, yeah, like I can't stand when I go to a church and maybe I'm just venting here for a minute and there's a reserve for the pastor spot. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you're just a you're just a 
sinner saved by grace like everybody else. Hey, right. Yeah. And let me, along those lines, let me ask this. It, should there be like a, a little extra, how do I say this? Because there's this kind of this battle going on about this right now among some circles, right? Oh, you know, the pastor shouldn't be called pastor. You should just call him by his first name. Like, shouldn't there be like a little, little I don't know. understanding of what, biblical roles? What, uh, yes what and no. I, I can see both sides of that because where I really, when I was young in the, as a pastor, yeah. I alienated some people because I insisted they call me Pastor Brennan. <laughs> and the older I've gotten, the less I insist, even sure. though I, I prefer that. Hmm. But I can't argue with the fact that people called Paul, Paul. Yeah. yeah. Right. So if, if, you know, he didn't say you have to call me brother, whatever. Right. I think Peter didn't call him that. Peter called him brother, Paul. So (laughs) you can. Actually, Ananias called him brother, Saul. Brother Saul. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the issue, the issue is not whether or not we should say brother or pastor or whatever, but you know, there is also in the scripture that, you know, those who lead well, Mm-hmm. They should be given double honor, right? I agree. Anyway. I, I, so, I so think it's a matter of balance again, isn't it? It's yeah. it's kind of recognizing the the office, which is a, a a privileged thing that we hold, but realizing that we uh-huh. we have to be qualified to hold the office, but we're never worthy to hold the office. I don't yeah. know if that's a good way to put it or not. I, I find and that so in, in our church. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Martin. No, no, you go. go I ahead. sincerely apologize, sir. Uh, I find that in our church, like if I don't make an issue out of it then usually someone else does. Like, for instance, you know, I, I pastor my grandparents and my parents in our church. God bless you. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I always tell people, I would say it in front of my parents, too. I'm like, they, people say, so how is that? I'm like, man, it is great. The therapy is expensive, but it is great. Man. I love it. But we do. We serve together. And, and it's funny because at the beginning, my mom got defensive for me. And people would be like, oh, hey, Stephen. And she'd look at him and go, um, hello. If I can call him pastor, you can call him pastor. You know? <laughs> and it was just like, and I'm like, oh yeah. man, you know, but, but then, and, and then I, you know, I have other people who like, they, they genuinely have a respect, but I have never demanded, unless it were like in a youth group setting where I'm like, Hey, I'm trying to teach people here, you, you know, how to be respectful. Well, Paul does right. say I magnify my office. Yeah, that is true. That's I true. think it's almost like setting the tone with different, um, different groups. And again, it, I'm thinking again of that quote by Margaret Thatcher. If you have to tell someone you're a lady, then you know, if you have to tell someone you've got authority, then you probably don't have it. And I think that's what you're saying. Like I'm over here keeping count of how many times that Martin mentions Martin. (laughs) I'm just writing it down. But it's true. But, you know, but I think you're right in that sometimes the harder you push for it, it probably means, you know, there is an underlying issue that's there. At the same time, though, it's good. And I found this in some places. Um, you know, the children are encouraged to say pastor, but as they kind of grow older and become more of a, a peer in, in age and influence, you know, they may refer to the pastor by the first name. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's good to put it in, in that context sometimes of, you know, recognizing the office without putting the man on a pedestal because no man has ever stayed on a pedestal without it yep. causing problems. I, um, go ahead, Tom. I think there's two answers to back to your this original question, which was how do you protect yourself from that or how do you grow out of that? I think there's two thoughts I want to give here. One is we must remember as both God's people and God's pastors, minister means servant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and which leads me then to the second part of the thing I want to say, which is how do we so we solve it by getting back to Christ as our example? Mm. How did... He, rep- he, he he took upon him the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He became mm-hmm. obedient. 
even unto the death, even unto the death of the cross, he, 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 we, we, we take Christ as our model. And then you look practically at his ministry. I'm not right about everything. He was right about everything, but he still took, he still took, uh, I don't know whether I want to say guff. He, he, he opened himself up to all sorts of questions. He, he didn't bristle. He didn't fuss. He didn't say, cause I said so. He didn't, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, let me let me challenge that in the sense that he was passionate about one thing, mm-hmm. and that was his father's will. And when his father's will was ever in, encroached upon, even by those closest, Peter is an example, not so, Lord. Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And I, I look at that, and I, I'm a, I guess I'm overly sensitive to it in the sense that that I, I had a, a church member once berate me over the fact that I was supposed to be the chief servant of my church, and therefore I never got my way, and I was never to make a decision. I was never to lead. Oh, oh yeah. I always yeah. had to do what people wanted me to do Ooh. because I was the chief servant. And I was like, no, I said, that's not what being a servant is. Being a servant is doing your master's will. Well, who's the master in that, in that scenario? That's good. Right. right. The master's will is God's will. That's good. And Jesus was the perfect example of that. He was willing to wash feet. He was willing to do everything. But he never played around with the fact that I am here to do my father's will. That's why he went to the cross was to do his father's will. And when Peter said, not so, Lord, he's like, get get thee behind me, Satan. And he never backed down from doing the father's will. Now, pastors can't hide behind doing the father's will. Um, in other words, they can't make up. They've got to follow God. This is a hard yet important topic. And I think we've just really scratched the surface of it yeah. today. And uh, our letter to the church today comes from Steve Brudnick. Dear church, leadership is influence. We all have influence. So let's work at being better leaders so we can have a greater influence for Christ. Let's focus on our leadership not on those around us and how they choose to lead. We can lead in three different ways. We can be a dictator leader. This is a person who leads as an authoritarian that pushes people who has the goal of dominance. We can lead as a democracy leader. This is a person who leads through altruism and takes polls of the people seeking to please them. This goal is popularity, or we can be a directional leader This is a person who leads through obedience and principle. The goal of this is pleasing God. This is a servant leader. We will make a choice. You will lead the way you choose to lead. In God's work, the only way to be the type of leader that you should be is by having a heart to follow God. Remember, to be a great leader, you must be a great follower of Jesus Christ, his servants and yours. Steve, Tom, Martin, and Stephen. Stephen.